Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Hydrogen and the production of ammonia are the major carbon emitters, but there might be a way to make them clean. You might have heard a lot of talk about different types of hydrogen production. Green hydrogen, electrolysis, hydrogen fuel cells. Well, there might be ways to make hydrogen production much more efficient, which is great because we need hydrogen to make things like ammonia and help feed the planet with the Haber process. So how can we make these things much more efficient for our environment? One of the most significant breakthroughs that has enabled us to feed the planet, but also revolutionise industry, agriculture, and thus lead to larger populations being sustained in different locations, can all be traced back to the synthesis of ammonia. When Fritz Haber filed his patent in 1908 for the process of synthesising ammonia, and later winning a Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1918, he revolutionised the way we thought about chemical production, and what it could mean for not just agriculture, but also, of course, other things like warfare, because ammonia can be used in many different applications. But ammonia is incredibly important to be then turned into a fertilizer, and that can give nitrogen back to soils, greatly boosting the productivity of agricultural land. Because normally, agricultural land gets depleted of this nitrogen-rich soil year after year through the harvest. And this is all part of the nitrogen cycle. Plants take out the nitrogen from the soil. They assimilate it back in. And then those plants get eaten or consumed by either ourselves or by animals. And then obviously we can excrete, both animals and humans, that nitrogen back out in lots of different forms. You can also get nitrogen from the atmosphere either synthesized by denitrifying bacteria or absorbed in the same process. Even lightning can throw in some formation of nitrogen into soils. But all of these processes are key for keeping the productivity of agricultural land. That's why the discovery of a synthetic way to produce ammonium was such a revolution. We didn't have to rely on complex harvesting, finding sources of ammonium or nitrogen-rich materials like guano or other types fertilizers that occur in nature. We removed our reliance on these rare resources and were able to just produce them anywhere as long as we could develop and get hydrogen and of course use the Haber process or Haber-Bosch process. So nitrogen is really significant and important for our soils and crops and the way we normally get that nitrogen into our soils and crops is through fertilizer. Fertilizer is produced with ammonia and how do we make ammonia? The Haber-Bosch or Haber process. How to do this? Well, we actually start by first having to produce hydrogen. And there can be a lot of different feedstocks to create hydrogen in the first place. This could be natural gas, coal, naphtha. There's a lot of different ways to obtain hydrogen and to separate it out. But the problem is, these all have a footprint, especially a greenhouse gas footprint. Finding a way to do the production of ammonia in a more streamlined manner is incredibly important. Now, just as a note, once we have that ammonia, we then go through the Haber process, and that is where we chill nitrogen and hydrogen and pass it over some catalyst beds under pressure and heat helps produce the ammonia through a chemical reaction. Ammonia is incredibly important, but trying to find a way to produce it with less environmental impact is also incredibly important, because it's no good to 
if you can feed the planet and boost the productivity of our crops, if the planet warms so much that those crops will die through drought and other catastrophic effects of climate change. So that's what researchers at University of New South Wales in Sydney, UNSW, have been investigating. Chemical engineers there have found a way to make green ammonia, which means it's taken from air, water, and renewable electricity. That means it doesn't require high temperatures, high pressure, or huge infrastructure that is currently used to produce them. For example, at the moment, you need to heat the nitrogen and the hydrogen up to temperatures around 400 degrees. And you need to get them to pressure, squeeze to pressures of around 200 atmospheres. High pressure, high heat. And how do you achieve that? Well, you need a lot of energy. Where does that energy come from? All these things lead to the carbon intensity of the ammonia production process. That's exactly what researchers like Dr. Emma Lovell, Dr. Ali Jalil Rosamal, and key authors, lead authors on this paper, Jing Sun David Allen, have investigated and published. Now, these researchers all come from different universities, UNSW, University of New South Wales in Sydney, and University of Sydney, working together with a lot of different research organisations and ARC. They've all published these results in the journal Energy and Environmental Sciences. So one of the big things about ammonia is it involves nitrogen and hydrogen, getting these balances right. Now, nitrogen, as you're probably aware, is in our atmosphere, a lot of it. But the problem is, it's in its stable form, atmospheric nitrogen, N2, is incredibly stable. So trying to find a way to efficiently extract it from the air is quite difficult. And that's where this proof of concept lab experiment came in. Now we know that lightning can turn nitrogen into ammonium into the soil and sequester it, but could you do the same thing to try and capture lightning in a bottle? Well, that's more or less what they use. They use plasma. You can think of it as like lightning made in a tube, which converts air into an intermediary known among chemists as NOx, either NO2 nitrite or NO3 nitrate. Now, these two intermediate steps and extractions from nitrogen can be used then as part of the building blocks to make ammonia. So if you can turn atmospheric nitrogen into a nitrite or nitrate, that's great but you still need to hit it with plasma to do so. Now, University of Sydney has a range of scalable plasma reactors that can generate the NOx in intermediary at a significant rate with a pretty good energy efficiency. So these basically turn electricity into plasma generation. That plasma converts the nitrogen in our air into the nitrate or nitrite that we can use to create ammonia. Now, the use of atmospheric plasma is a big thing in what they call green chemistry because it's a great way to do what happens often in nature, just really rarely, and use this kind of occurring of really efficient heat generation form matter, plasma, to actually basically get us over some hurdles that we would otherwise face trying to do it with another method. Now, the trick that they also applied in this case is they induce the plasma discharge inside water bubbles. That's useful because it you boost the energy efficiency and you make it into a more scalable process. No good having lightning in a bottle if your bottle is very small. Now, another key thing here to think about is we often talk about the exporting of hydrogen and hydrogen economy, using that as a cleaner energy source. And that's true. If you can find a way to generate hydrogen, produce hydrogen without relying on other fuel sources for energy and instead use say solar or wind or wave energy well now you have what they call green hydrogen 
hydrogen that is produced without actually requiring any fossil fuels for the energy source. That's great. But if you want to export that hydrogen or keep it or use it later or transport it somewhere else from where you produced it, the thing is, hydrogen is really light and needs a lot of space. So generally, you actually have to compress it, squeeze it, put under huge pressures, or you liquefy it and keep it really cold, keep it liquid, and then try and store it that way. So it's just a huge space and infrastructure problem. But if you can turn that hydrogen efficiently straight into ammonia, well, you can actually store that as liquid pretty easily. And you actually store more hydrogen in liquid ammonia than if you just physically as a space thing than if you stored it just as liquid hydrogen. So that's great because you could actually use it to transport hydrogen from one place to another in a much more efficient manner. And that's really important. So it's a place like Australia, where if we can produce hydrogen more greenly, it would enable us to ship it to countries like Japan and Germany that can split that ammonia back and convert it back into hydrogen and nitrogen to use as fuels. And we have a more efficient transport step. And that's one of the key things here about the hydrogen economy. The more efficient production of ammonia and the general use of hydrogen is really a great thing for our overall climate emissions, but also a way of building an economy that is much more CO2 friendly. Because even if you just think about the way in which we produce ammonia right now, that production process alone consumes about 2% of the world's energy each year and emits just for this process, the Haber process, emits about 1% of the entire CO2 emissions. So that process alone is a huge contributor to the global CO2 levels and our energy consumption. So anything we can do to chip away at that and make that more efficient is incredibly important. It's also an important process because it helps us feed our planet. So the Haber process has served us really well. But researchers like this large team from UNSW and UCID have found a way to make it more efficient that can help not only feed the planet, but feed it in a much more green way. This paper is published in the journal Energy and Environmental Science with researchers and lead authors Jing Sung and David Allen, a large team from University of New South Wales and University of Sydney in Australia. From the production of ammonia and the ways to make that process more efficient to the overall production of hydrogen itself and that's what researchers INRS in Quebec along with researchers from University of Strasbourg have been collaborating together and has published in the journal Solar Energy Materials and Solar Cells a way to take from nature a more efficient way to produce hydrogen from water. Lead authors on this paper are Thomas Favet and Thomas Cotinot with fellow authors Valerie Keller and under the supervision of Professor El Akani. We've talked about how hydrogen can be extracted as a type of fossil fuel, but there's another way to almost renewably produce hydrogen, and that's through electrolysis. That's where you basically break water down into its component bits, oxygen and hydrogen. And then you use this hydrogen fuel as a hydrogen fuel cell to power a vehicle, let's say. And then the byproduct you get from that is just water again and that creates this process that continues on and on basically you use electricity to conduct the 
electrolysis, the breaking apart of hydrogen and oxygen from water, and then you get the materials you need. And this cycle basically can repeat over and over. The thing that really stops this from being a game changer, obviously, for fuels, is the fact that you need water and you also need a lot of electricity. Electrolysis isn't the most efficient of processes, especially compared to other ways of getting hydrogen. So this is really the issue. So that's what these research teams are investigating. Is there a way to make electrolysis much more efficient? And they took an idea from nature and they were inspired by the natural mechanism of photosynthesis. They took this concept of using light that plants do and converting into all the energy they need. They said, well, is there a way that we can do the same thing? But instead of getting light to then power our electricity through a solar cell, slightly more sophisticated than that, what they've actually done is harness the light specifically and directly using structured electrodes that actually split the water molecules under the side light. They call this process a photocatalysis. So instead of electrolysis, it's photocatalysis. Now, they had to make these electrodes in a pretty special way because they want to maximize the use of the solar energies. So they selected some very abundant and chemically stable materials, in particular, titanium dioxide. TiO2. Now, this is a pretty commonly used semiconductor that's known to be photosensitive to UV light, which only accounts for about 5% of the solar radiance, but researchers have used their expertise to boost the competition. So instead of just being 5% absorption of UV, they can get it up to around 50% of all the light spectrum emitted by the sun by basically modifying the makeup and the electrodes to try and boost its photo absorption capabilities. Now, that's a huge efficiency boost just at the beginning, but that sort of forms the backbone of where they're going. They developed a nanostructuration, a way of building the electrode itself to form a network of titanium dioxide nanotubes, kind of all hashes together like a beehive. Now, the reason why they do this is to greatly increase the surface area. One of the reasons why you want to do this is you want to maximize the way it absorbs energy and passes it out as well. The more surface area, the better the efficiency of the reaction is going to be. And by creating this beehive-like structure with the titanium oxide tubes, well, they can increase the surface energy of the electrode by a factor of 100,000 or more. That's insane boost. So, for example... A titanium oxide nanostructure can offer a surface area of about 50 meters squared per gram. Think about that. 50 square meters. That's the size of a small apartment. 50 square meters in a gram. So that's a huge amount of surface area contained inside that single gram of material. Yes, you have to engineer this structure pretty specifically to get that. But as a surface area for a catalytic reaction... That's amazing. Now, the final step is a, what they call a nanodecoration. They have to deposit catalytic na nanoparticles on the otherwise massive network of titanium oxide nanotubes. And this enables the efficiency of the hydrogen production to, to occur. Basically, they need this catalyst to kickstart the reaction to break apart the water into its composite bits. Now, the problem is you've got to control the size, dispersion, and anchoring of all these catalyst particles across this massive beehive complex 
of titanium oxide nanotubes. But this is good because it actually cuts down the alternatives, which is costly iridium and platinum catalysts that would otherwise typically have been used. They, they picked cobalt oxide as a material, as a base for this, because, well, they it's widely available in Quebec, pretty cheap and easy for them to get. So that formed the basis, titanium oxide and cobalt oxide. And from this combination of nanoparticles and this crazy structure, they're able to build a tenfold increase in the photocatalytic efficiency of these special nanoelectrodes. That makes them really efficient. And that part is where it gets really important. So now we have a really large surface area. We have a more efficient absorber of solar energy. And we have a great, simple, commonly available catalytic material. This all added together makes for a much more efficient catalytic process. Huge amounts of surface area that's able to achieve much better results of actually producing, in a much greener way, hydrogen from water. That is pretty special. It's kind of ideas like this that take and improve the processes that we have relied on in the past and make them much more greener, much more efficient. In this case, you can do the electrolysis process, a process we understand and know, but we can do it in a different way, a much more efficient way. We're sure we have to rely on new types of materials and our growing expertise in nanomaterials at that, but it unlocks a much more efficient way to produce hydrogen which really helps break down some of the many barriers that have prevented hydrogen from really becoming the global mainstay in energy production. So yes, people have been talking about hydrogen fuel cells, electrolysis, for years and years. But we're rapidly approaching a time where that stops being talk and starts being more tangible. We're already starting to see vehicle fleets be powered by hydrogen fuel cells. And in time, many large vehicle transports will go to using this. Airbus has committed to try to have hydrogen fuel cells for their entire aircraft fleet by the mid-2030s. It's this kind of rapid movements we are going to need to make to decarbonize our economy. Now, this is some great research published in the journal Solar Energy Materials and Solar Cells by Thomas Favet, Thomas Cotineau, Valerie Keller, and Professor El Kakani. And it elaborates how you can make a really interesting and super improved version of a common and the understood electrolysis process. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. From a greener version of the Haber process that helped feed the planet to a new way to change electrolysis to make it much more efficient and rely on solar power. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.